Well, good morning. I thoroughly enjoyed that special music, all the music. It ministers to my heart, and I trust it warms you for the teaching and preaching of God's Word. It's a joy for me and my wife, Mary, to return here to South Bend and to Fellowship Baptist Church. Although I've been with you a couple times uh, over the past several years, it was by myself as uh, Mary stayed back and maintained the home front. It's a real joy to have her with me on this trip. And it's just an extra bonus to have our second of five grandchildren, little Jade Stevens. Uh, of course, our oldest daughter, Sarah, and her husband, Joel. Joel pastors Thompson Road Baptist Church there in Indianapolis. They have four of our grandchildren, including Jade. And then uh, Gloria uh, provided us our newest grandbaby, uh, this past May. So the Lord's been good. And uh, it's a joy to be with you, and I trust you're looking forward to the message as I am. May I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 10. I want to thank so much uh, Pastor and Mrs. Wesco for having Mary and I and Jade in their home last night. We shared a tremendous meal and sweet fellowship and appreciate so much uh, the provision for our housing overnight. And uh, we're just looking forward to a great day together with you uh, here in God's house. Let me read for you our text as found here in Romans chapter 10, our text being beginning at verse 13 down through verse 17 by way of introduction. Romans chapter 10, you follow along as I read for us beginning at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah, Sir Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, my message is entitled, Your Necessary Responsibility. Your Necessary Responsibility. Let's look to God in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow at this time, trusting to hear from heaven, trusting to be reminded of this great missionary challenge to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But Lord, what role would you have each of us to play? I pray that you would make that clear this morning. I pray that you'd challenge us anew and afresh. I pray that you would Completely fill me, that every word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be found acceptable in your sight. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone might ask me this question, Brother Pat, have you always been a Christian? And the answer to that question is just so obvious. No. 
When we're born, we don't come out with Christian rubber stamped across our forehead, do we? No. And the reason for that is we're all born without faith. The question may also equally be asked of me, Brother Pat, have you always been a preacher? And that question is equally answered, no. So then tell us, what exactly happened in your life? Thank you for asking. Back in the year 1980, I was beginning my career as a fresh graduate from the University of Iowa as a high school speech teacher and a debate coach at Marshalltown High School in Marshalltown, Iowa. As the Lord would have it in the sovereignty of God, there in Marshalltown, Iowa at Fellowship Baptist Church, the pastor at that time, Dr. Glenn Jaspers, of all things was having a campaign entitled 100 Days of Soul Winning. And on a Thursday night in late August of 1980, the assistant pastor who's still there in that same position, Brother Mike Hargrave, and his father-in-law, who's now with the Lord, Dennis Madney, knocked on the door of my apartment. Imagine, I was living in a converted garage apartment on an alley behind the main row of houses. But that didn't stop Brother Mike and Dennis that night. They moved beyond the main road and came back and knocked on the door of 117 Wood Street that night. Now, mind you, I invited them in. They sat down across from me and they asked me this question no one had ever asked me in my life. Brother Pat, if you died tonight, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Please understand at that time. I didn't look like, act like, talk like, anything like a Christian. And that's to my shame. But these men were loving toward me. They shared the gospel with me. They gave me a gospel tract that I still have to this day, and they invited me to Fellowship Baptist Church that coming Sunday, and I went. And there I heard Dr. Glenn preach the gospel. Those first three Sundays that I sat under his preaching, I left every time in tears and under great conviction. But months went by. I went off and on to that church until finally an evangelist by the name of Jerry Savinsky came in November of that year, 1980. And on a Wednesday night, I walked the aisle, repented of my sin, went back to that little converted garage apartment and purged it of all those things that held my life in bondage to this world, sin, and the devil. Laid out over my bed and cried out through tears for the Lord to please forgive me. Come into my heart and be my savior. Take me to heaven when I die. I continued to grow. So many people ministered in a form of discipleship to my soul. Then when spring came, another evangelist, Ron Comfort, came in April of 1981 in the first night of that meeting. I walked the aisle and surrendered my life to full-time Christian ministry, having no idea where God wanted me to go or what God wanted me to do. But God had a plan. Ladies and gentlemen, I could go on and on, but these types of decisions 
have given me great cause to ponder over the last number of years in my life. I often wonder, where would I be today if Fellowship Baptist Church did not have that campaign, 100 Days of Soul Winning? I often wonder, where would I be today if Brother Mike and Dennis Matney had ignored that converted garage apartment behind the main street on that alley? I often wonder, where would I be today if I had rejected their invitation to visit Fellowship Baptist Church the next Sunday? I often wonder, where would some Malaysians, Singaporeans, Taiwanese people be today if I had not obeyed the call to follow the Lord in foreign missions? You know, as I look back, the implications from decisions that I have made, I find staggering because I accepted a preacher's invitation to Fellowship Baptist Church God subsequently transformed my life, and not long after, I headed off to Maranatha for seminary. From there, God led me to four different mission fields, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, to pastor my first church. From there to Guam, to minister at Harvest Baptist Church, and to marry my beloved wife of now 34 years. Singapore, to be a church planter for 18 years. Taiwan to continue in church planning for another three years. And now these past 10 years, ministering to 25 different missionary families scattered throughout Asia and the Pacific region. Ladies and gentlemen, some decisions that you and I make have life-altering and eternal implications. Sometimes we're so overcome by the obvious, by the details of life that we overlook the obvious. Can I point out to you the obvious in our text this morning? It is simply this. The preaching of the gospel is a ministry of necessity. And that's what we see in those hallmark verses of 14 and 15 where the Bible reads, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And within this ministry of necessity exists three realms of responsibility. And here they are. It is the church's responsibility to send. It is the uh, believer's responsibility to tell. And it is the unbeliever's responsibility to call and believe. Let's get into it. Consider with me, first of all, it is the church's responsibility to send. Verse 15 Notice the beginning of the verse, and how shall they preach except they be sent? How shall they preach except they be sent? There are two primary reasons it's the church's responsibility to send out preachers because of the incredible need and because of the biblical precedent. Think with me about the incredible need in 1991. 1991, it was estimated that 2.5 billion, and at that time, that's half the Earth's population. In 1991, it was estimated 2.5 billion people had not yet received a culturally relevant presentation of the gospel. And at the same time, 
there were 285,000 full-time missionaries and 180,000 part-time missionaries or short-termers. Now imagine what those numbers would look like now 30 years later. Over a 20-year period, from 1992 to 2012, the world's population went from 5 billion to 7 billion. Do you believe the church is effectively reaching the world with the gospel? It's been written that despite Christ's command to evangelize, today, 67% of all people from A.D. 30 until today have never heard of the name of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, in the last 40 years, over 1 billion people have died who've never heard of Jesus Christ. And around 30 million will die annually without hearing a presentation of the gospel of salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the church's responsibility to send because of the incredible need. But secondly, because of the biblical precedent. For this, we want to turn back. Notice with me in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, verse 1, 3, and 4. I'll read a portion of this for us. Acts chapter 13. Notice the beginning of verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. Jump to verse 3. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. The beginning of verse 4. And so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. Ladies and gentlemen, if the world is going to be reached with the gospel, there must be a combination of divine authority coupled with human assistance. The biblical precedent is seen there in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, where the Bible says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So can you see? Whether you are the one who goes or the one who stays in order to send, both are vitally important. Both work together in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Let me share this illustration. From the humble beginnings of 100 young people at the Mount Hermon meeting in 1886, the student volunteer movement identified and fielded 20,000 men and women to be goers. Those who would go and preach the gospel to the lost. This same movement mobilized an army in excess of 80,000, in other words, four times as many. These would be mission-minded people who pledged their lives to stay home and support those who went. You know, I have a friend. For over 20 years, every year at his church's missions conference up in New Jersey, as the song leader, as the choir director, he would stand as I'm standing in front of his church's congregation and challenge them at the missions conference with this thought. Would you surrender your life to stay? Now that's different from the normal context, isn't it? When we're challenged in a missions conference to Surrender your life to go, but he would challenge the congregation. 
Would you surrender your life to stay? My friend, it takes both. It takes people willing to go, like me, my wife. But even far more, it takes people like you who would be willing and surrendered to stay that others might go. And how should they preach except they be sent? But the bottom line is we need both goers as well as stayers. It's the church's responsibility to send. But secondly, it's the believer's responsibility to tell. As we look at Paul's series of these notable four questions, verses 14 and 15, the third question found in verse 14 is, and how shall they hear without a preacher? What's Paul's focus when he says, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Well, whereas in the first point, the burden that I shared with you is on the church to be sending those forth, now Paul focuses the burden on the individual believer, and Paul points to the necessity for someone to proclaim the message of the gospel. Let's seek answers to two questions in this text. First question is this. Who is Paul talking about when, how, when he says, how shall they hear without a preacher? At the end of that verse, how shall they hear without a preacher, this is the only occurrence of that word preacher in verse 14. In verse 15, we see the word preach used twice. Notice, and how shall they preach Number one, and then move down to the middle of the verse. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach. It's the second occurrence of that word preach. Now the word preacher in verse 14, and the, and the first occurrence of the word preach in verse 15 come from a form of the same Greek word, caruso. In those two instances, the word refers to the preaching of the gospel as a herald. Behold, the second occurrence of that word preach in verse 15 comes from the Greek word euangelizo. It's where we get our English word to evangelize. So at first glance, you might think that Paul is referring to a person who holds the office of a pastor. But think about this with me. Is preaching reserved only for pastors? As I look over my life, I, I think I've seen some women who do a fair share of pretty good preaching. Is evangelism reserved only for pastors? In actual fact, Paul is referring to any born-again believer who shares the good news of the gospel with others. Why would Paul cast the net, therefore, so wide to include all believers as responsible for giving out the gospel. Because the responsibility for proclaiming the good news has been given to everyone who trusts in Christ. From God's perspective, there's no division between the laity and the clergy. All the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And therefore, it shows the necessity for both soul winning and the public proclamation of the good news. Of course, God does call particularly people to the pulpit ministry of pastor, public ministry of evangelist, foreign field ministry of missionary. No doubt about it. 
but they do not have any special access to God or an access any different from you who sits in the pew. Nor do they stand as mediators between God and man because the Bible clearly teaches us through Paul's exhortation to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.15, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So there are far more people, ladies and gentlemen, in the pew than in the pulpit. And therefore, if we're going to get the gospel to the masses, it'll only be when people in the pew become proclaimers of this good news. So, who's Paul talking about? He's talking about the masses within the pews of the local churches. But second question is, what's the significance of our telling when we absolutely obey that call to share the gospel with others we know and love? Generally speaking, the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, let me share with you. Generally speaking, the gospel is not self-discoverable. I want you to think about that and let that settle in for just a minute. What do I mean when I, ask, when I say that the gospel, generally speaking, is not self-discoverable? The gospel is not something that a person can easily reason through on their own. Now, are, are there some occasions where Someone randomly picks up a gospel or opens a Bible like in a hotel room or, or finds a gospel track in public and reads through it and prays the sinner's prayer. Yes, there are rare exceptions like that. But there are few and far between. Most often we receive the gospel through the presentation of another person. And because the Bible says we are reconciled to God through Christ. God expects us to be involved in that ministry of reconciliation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. So God has committed the spread of the gospel to people not evangelists, not, not uh, angels. Remember the experience of Philip and the eunuch, classic example of what I'm trying to say. In Acts chapter 8, verses 30 to 31, and Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and saith, understandest thou what thou readest? And he saith, how can I except some man should guide me? And that's the point. And so he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So Paul lived with this burden of being an evangelizer, of sharing the gospel, communicating the gospel truth to others. He shared with that burden squarely on his back. And it would do each of us good to embrace that same responsibility, that same burden. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, the Bible says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity, Paul says, is laid on me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. My dear friend, the responsibility is ours. Ours to make sure others have the opportunity to hear the good news. And that's a serious responsibility because there's coming a day when we're all going to stand and give an account. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body 
according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So it's the believer's responsibility to tell, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Third question. It's the unbeliever's responsibility to call and believe. What has Paul tried to teach us through his series of four questions in verses 14 and 15? I want to read those verses again for us. And as I do, I want you to think about the relationship between the words calling and believing. Listen as I read 14 and 15 again. And how should they call on him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in whom they have not yet heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Paul is saying, if God did not send preachers, no one could hear. If no one could hear, then no one could believe. If no one could believe, then no one could be, no one could call on the Lord. And if no one could call on the Lord, then no one could be saved. So it's important to recognize. Paul begins his questions by identifying the responsibility to do two things, call and believe. There in verse 14 with that question, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed. Ladies and gentlemen, it's always been man's responsibility to call. That word call, found in verses 12 through 14, is the Greek word epikaleomai, the call. Literally, it means to call upon. In this case, for the purpose of adoration. The scripture identifies for us a general as well as a special calling of God. Let me identify this for us through the scriptures. There's a general call for all men revealed for us in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. And this is the verse that God used in the life of Charles Spurgeon to bring him to the gospel. Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there's no one else. And then Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, also in reference to that general calling of God. For many are called, but few are chosen. So there's that general call out to the masses of humanity. But there's a second, more special calling of God. Let me identify that for you scripturally. This is often referred to as the efficacious call of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This special calling is a work of the Holy Spirit where the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to illumine truth to the heart of a human being. This type of calling would be meaningless if the object was not worthy of our trust and did not have something to offer guilty sinners. It's always been man's responsibility to call on God by faith. Because unlike hyper-Calvinists, we do not believe in divine determinism. What is divine determinism? 
The fact that only God is involved in the conversion of a soul. Somewhere known only to God, ladies and gentlemen, there must be a divine balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. You could imagine the tracks of a train going down in front of you. The sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man, and somewhere out in infinity, those two tracks become one. But in that place, that's where God's unmerited favor demands man's positive response to the gospel. Jesus said to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, you must be born again. Think of when the Philippian jailer cried out, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. I want you to think with me, not only has it always been man's responsibility to call, but secondly, it's always been man's responsibility to believe. So two responsibilities. Think about that concept of believing. Pistuo is the Greek word for believe, and it means to be convinced of something. The critical element in belief is trust. I like to think of it as dependence. But the person who believes is convinced of God's existence and his power to help in time of need. Now, within John's gospel, what we find are 98 occurrences of this Greek word, pistuo. Think with me of John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them to the, that believe on his name. That receiving, but as many as received him, involves the welcoming of Christ into one's life for an eternal relationship. Think of John chapter 3, verse 36, where the Bible says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. However, notice carefully the rest of John 3, 36, where the Bible gives us this warning. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. This verse teaches us that the act of believing is not a matter of passive opinion, but of active obedience. Faith is never simply mental assent, ladies and gentlemen, but rather a personal response involving three elements of who we are as mankind. The mind, the emotions, as well as one's will. And it's always been man's responsibility to believe. And notice in Romans chapter 10, verse 16, the first part of Romans 10, 16, Paul says these words, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isn't that an interesting thought? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Why didn't Paul write there, but they have not all believed the gospel? Why didn't Paul write there, they have not all accepted the gospel? Or why didn't he choose to say, what, they have not all trusted the gospel? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. That Greek word for obeyed, hupakuo, means to listen to something. First part of that Greek word, hupa, under, akuo, to hear. 
Mostly that word obeyed means to obey like a servant in his relationship to his master. In this case, it refers to a manifestation of faith revealed from a humble acceptance of the gospel. In other words, I hear the gospel and I accept it. I embrace it. I receive it. I depend upon the gospel. You know, it's sad to note that although the gospel is proclaimed worldwide by the missionary family, not all have responded in obedience to that gospel. A friend of mine has written, the hard part of the Great Commission is obedience. Can I say that again? The hard part of the Great Commission is obedience. What is he talking about? Imperatives. Imperatives. What are imperatives? Imperatives are commands. And imperatives demand our response. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a command. Matthew chapter 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's a command. That's an imperative. And it demands my response. So Paul clearly understood the vital importance of an obedient faith. I want to point that out to you here in the book of Romans. Paul taught this obedient faith from start to finish throughout the book of Romans. In fact, this obedient faith bookends the book of Romans. Notice at the beginning of Romans, chapter 1, verse 5, we're talking about an obedient faith. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Go to the end of the book of Romans, chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. The Bible says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. So what is Paul talking about here? Ladies and gentlemen, it has always been the unbeliever's responsibility to call and believe. It's critically important that we end this message with a focus on obedience. Remember, the preaching of the gospel is a ministry of necessity. And within that realm of necessity exist these realms of responsibility. It's the church's responsibility to send. It's the believer's responsibility to tell. And it's the unbeliever's responsibility to call and believe. You know, in the very beginning of the message, I told you that I don't know where I'd be today if someone had not knocked on the door of my old converted garage apartment. Where would you be today? if someone had not shared the gospel with you. Please listen to the lyrics of this song written by Dave Thompson many years ago. I share them with you because they express the gratitude of my heart 
because someone assumed their responsibility with the gospel in an act of obedience to bring truth to me. I was lost without a hope of being found. To sin, I was a servant. I was bound. Life was going nowhere. No matter how I tried, I searched for peace, but nothing satisfied. Then someone cared enough to bring the gospel to me. Someone cared, and now my soul is free. I know it wasn't easy to be bold enough to share, but I'm so glad someone cared. Dear friend, do you care? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? And how shall they call on him of whom they've not believed? This is our necessary responsibility. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, unto thee shall all flesh come. And we come, Lord, just as we are, without one plea. I thank you for the grace of God in my life. Something I'll never get over until you come to take me home. But it's such a joy to have been counted worthy to be your servant. Lord, I pray that you would engage our hearts and minds in this great commission of getting out the gospel. Burden us here at Fellowship Baptist Church of South Bend anew and afresh with our role in sharing with the lost this gospel truth. Who knows, Lord, how you might use people within this congregation to discover the next Pat and Mary Delaney through their obedience to the faith. Take us, Lord. Use us, Lord, for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.